Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're all doing well, considering our current circumstances involving the COVID-19 virus. Uh, my name is Clark, and I'm one of the leaders here at uh, Ritman Grace, and uh, hope you're all uh, doing well this morning. I want to uh, say thank you for tuning in and taking the time out of your Sunday morning, um, or whenever you listen to this, to uh, tune into this, uh, uh, this message. Uh, there's a lot of things you could be doing with your time, um, and so I just encourage you to uh, tune in for the next uh, 30 minutes or so. I think we're uh, going to say some things that are hopefully going to encourage you and uh, bring some closure in the midst of everything that's going on this morning. So, so thanks for taking the time to tune in. Um, we are in the middle of a series called The Seven Sayings of Christ from the Cross, and we've been in this uh, seven-part series for a few weeks now. And so if you're just now tuning in for this uh, seven-part series, you're actually catching us in kind of the middle of this uh, conversation. So I want to encourage you to maybe uh, go back and get caught up the past couple weeks if you missed them. Uh, you could probably catch it on Facebook or our other media platforms like YouTube or Google, Apple Podcasts. But those are there for you. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. That way you can get all caught up with where we're at. So, so just to recap a little bit, we're in this seven sayings of Christ from the cross. Uh, so far, we've talked about a couple different things of Jesus uh, from the cross. The first week, we opened up by talking about where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In week two, we talked about where Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Then if you were with us last week, Pastor Bud talked about where Jesus said from the cross, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. Well, today we want to continue our seven-part series together. We want to talk, talk about the part where Jesus says, from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we're talking about this idea of abandonment this morning. We also said in this series that we want to kind of keep in the back of our minds uh, three different themes that we see show up in these teachings from uh, Jesus from the cross. And there are this. Uh, we want to focus on the spiritual nature of Jesus, the human character of Jesus, and also want to pay attention to the divine mission of Jesus. The thing about Jesus, and the reason why this is so important, is because Jesus is fully man, and he is fully God. And so he has a spiritual nature, but he also has a human nature as well, where he can identify with us. And, and he is human, but in the, in the, at the same time, uh, there's no sin found in him. He is tempted in every way that we are, and yet there is no sin found in him, the Bible tells us. And then, of course, the divine mission of Jesus uh, when we look at the cross, we could be tempted to think that this is a moment of defeat for Jesus. But this is actually God's greatest moment of victory. And so that's something I want to tap into and tease out a little bit today in our uh, conversation as well. So we're talking about this idea of abandonment and rejection. And this is probably something that uh, many of us could probably identify with. Um, I know for me, just to share you a quick personal story uh, once upon a time, 
my well, my wife now, she was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, we we actually dated a couple times, and the first time uh, it actually didn't go so well. And so, just so you know, I got uh, permission from my wife to share this story with you, uh, so she knows all about it. But anyway, once upon a time uh, we were dating, and so Amanda, she was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, we hung out quite a bit. Uh, this was six years ago, by the way, so I was probably like in my mid twenties. But uh, we would uh, hang out together at coffee shops. We would study together. Uh, we would serve together in our young adult college ministry. Uh, we'd hang out at each other's houses and play uh, board games and watch movies together. And I would get to know her parents a little bit. She was starting to get to know my family as well. Until one day, we got together for lunch at a restaurant. We started arguing about something. And uh, to be honest with you, I was probably a little immature and just wanted to win the argument. And I'll be honest, I'm probably still immature, so you can pray for her. But anyway, long story short, a week later, she ended up breaking up with me. And so it was in that season of my life that, again, I was like in my mid-20s. I was actually getting ready to preach for the very first time ever, too, at my uh, current, uh, it was my internship at the Medina East Campus Grace Church. And so I was feeling some spiritual opposition that time, and my girlfriend just broke up with me. I'm getting ready to preach for the first time and share my story. And I just felt a lot of isolation in that time in my life. I felt a lot of uh, just very alone, and I just felt very uh, rejected in that moment. And so why tell that story? The reason I tell that story is really uh, for two reasons. The first reason is, the first lesson I learned is that if you're immature around your girlfriend over and over and over, uh, there's a good chance she could break up with you. <laughs> but the second lesson that I learned, probably the more important lesson that ties into today's conversation, is that uh, the feeling of rejection, that is a powerful feeling uh, physically, emotionally, and spiritually as well. And I don't pretend for a minute to compare my rejection to Jesus's on the cross. Uh, I don't think we could even fathom that. But it is good to know that, that we can identify a little bit with that. And I imagine you maybe have found yourself in situations where you felt abandoned as well. Maybe you felt rejected. Uh, some of us know the pain and the sting of abandonment. Nothing hurts more than being rejected by somebody. And if you've ever felt the sting of rejection, uh, you know how bad of a feeling that is. For some of us growing up, we've been rejected by, uh, abandoned by a parent, perhaps. Uh, for others of us, uh, as an adult even, maybe been rejected by, uh, abandoned by a spouse. Others of us, maybe we've been rejected by boyfriends, girlfriends. There's a quote by an American author, and she says this about abandonment. Abandonment doesn't have the sharp but dissipating sting of a slap. It's like a punch to the gut, bruising your skin and driving the precious air from your body. And I think the point that this author is getting at is kind of what we've been saying, that nothing hurts more than being rejected, abandoned, and forsaken. I remember seeing a video on the internet one time. Uh, once there was a man, he put a child in a shopping cart, and he pushes the child in the cart into a Walmart, and he turns around and he walks off. He left the child abandoned, rejected, forsaken. And you go, what kind of person would do something like that? What kind of person would just walk out like that? Well, I'm here to tell you that in Jesus's last days, he is progressively abandoned by everybody. First, he's abandoned by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Then he's abandoned by the other disciples. They all leave. They're afraid they're going to be arrested or killed. And then now on the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Listen, here's why today's message is so important. Here's why I think you need to tune in for the next 30 minutes because I think it's gonna be worth your time because there's some common ground that, that the, the two of us share, uh, that all of us share together right now. And it's this, that we are either directly or indirectly affected by this COVID-19 virus. And in the midst of that, regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, it, it can make us ask some questions. It can make us be tempted to think that maybe God's not in control, right? Maybe there's no God at all. Well, I want to encourage you this morning that I think today's message is going to re reveal to us two things. Uh, number one, that, that there is a God. And then secondly, that he is completely and utterly in control, even if it seems like he's not. So I just want to encourage you. I don't know where you're at this morning, but uh, maybe you're feeling some anxiety right now. Maybe there's a lot of uncertainty that you're feeling. I know a lot of us can feel that way. So if you are taking notes or if you're using your iPad or digital device to take notes, maybe you can write this down. I want us to see uh, this this morning, that Jesus was rejected so that you could be accepted. Jesus on the cross was rejected so that you, so I, so that anyone could be accepted and have a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And I also want us to see in this passage this morning, I believe we're going to see that God is holy and that sin is ugly and that salvation is costly. So I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, if you have your iPad or mobile device, uh, whatever you have your Bible on, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 27, we're going to be breaking in at verse uh, 45. So Matthew's a gospel. Matthew actually writes to a, a Jewish audience. And we're going to see here in a little bit why that matters. Uh, Matthew's writing to uh, an audience that uh, that psalm that Pastor Bud read earlier, they would have been able to... Uh, see, Jesus actually quotes that psalm. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But they would have been able to make those connections. They would have been able to do some math and see that there's huge implications behind what Jesus is saying from the cross. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind as well as we as we uh, continue this message this morning. So Matthew chapter 27, we're going to break in at verse 45, says this. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Now notice it says from noon to three in the afternoon. So we're talking three hours here that darkness came over all of the land. Jesus is on the cross and then from, from noon to three, God causes everything to go dark. The word darkness literally means to obscure. And so it's almost as if God sees Jesus on the cross and he sees this is so bad, this is so evil, this is so terrible that I'm just going to cause everything to go dark. And uh, not to be confused with a solar eclipse, this God supernaturally, he literally caused everything to go dark. And watch what happens next. The Bible says in verse 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this first part here, uh, I sounded confident saying it. I actually listened to an audio Bible to see how to say that. But I'm pretty sure based on my studies that Eli, Eli actually is Hebrew. And that other part that's kind of hard to pronounce, Lama Sabachthani, that's actually Aramaic. And I think that's, I think that's worth knowing because uh, it adds power to what Jesus is saying. Fortunately for us, Matthew is written in Greek. We can translate our English and get this part here that says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus is on the cross, 
everything goes dark, everything goes black. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You've rejected me. You've abandoned me. And we're going to get into a lot of things that the meaning and the significance of that. But I think it's worth knowing that in that moment, what happened is that Jesus and uh, God the Father, they've always had this fellowship. They've always had this relationship and this intimacy. In that moment, that, that relationship and fellowship was broken. And from all eternity past and all eternity future, uh, it, instead, except for this moment, Jesus and God the Father had always been in perfect harmony and perfect unity and perfect love, except for that moment. And so this is a physical torture, but this is also a spiritual torture as well. You see, for us, we, it's hard for us to understand what kind of intimacy and fellowship with, with God, what that would be like, because we're used to feeling estranged from God. Sometimes we feel like God's not hearing our prayers. Sometimes there's sin that's in our life that makes us feel like God is distant. But Jesus never knew what that was like, because Jesus never sinned. Jesus had a perfect relationship and fellowship with God the Father. But in that moment, when Jesus is on the cross, and he screams, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That fellowship, that relationship with God is broken. It was in that moment that Jesus became what we call a substitution. We call this substitutionary atonement. And there's a lot of places in the Bible where this idea is, is pervasive throughout Scripture. So I thought I would take the time to talk about what is substitutionary atonement? Why does that matter? Where else does that show up? Where is that explained in the Bible? Well, let me show you what I'm talking about. The Bible tells us in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, if you're doing the 1 John Connect that we challenge a lot of people to do, maybe you're familiar with this, but the Bible says this in 1 John chapter 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So I want you to notice this word atoning. You ask yourself, what does it mean to atone for something, right? To atone for my sin. Well, it's not a word that we use a whole lot, but to atone for something means to pay for damage done. So if I walked out to the parking lot and uh, took a baseball bat and broke the headlights out of your car, well, number one, you'd probably beat me up, but you'd also be like, I want you to pay for that, right? So you'd want me to atone for the damage that has been done. You see, God looks at us and he sees our sin. He sees the evil in the world and he says, somebody's got to pay for that. Either you're going to pay for that or Jesus is going to pay for that. And God says, I don't want you to have to pay for that. So he sends Jesus, his one and only perfect son, the spotless lamb, to, to atone for the sins of the world, the, all the sins of the world. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the apostle Paul says this, So God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the best deal that we're ever going to get. Jesus removes our sin, and then he clothes us with a robe of righteousness. And this is, this is profound. Um, the thing about God is that he is 100% holy, 100% pure, 100% perfect. And the thing about God is that he, he hates sin. He can't be around sin because he is perfect and he is holy. And God knows what sin does to us. He sees how it destroys lives. It destroys families. It destroys marriages. He sees what addiction does. He sees what, how sin just destroys. And so because of that, God judges sin. Uh, in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, the Apostle Paul says, God presented Christ 
as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand left unpunished. See, here's what I believe Paul is saying here. And here's what I believe is happening when Jesus is on the cross and he screams, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you could think about a courtroom, God is playing the judge, God is playing the attorney, and God is actually playing the penalty as well. Let me explain what I mean by that. God is the judge because, again, we just mentioned earlier, God is 100% holy, he's 100% pure, he is 100% perfect, and he hates sin. He says, I need to, to judge this sin. Somebody's got to pay for this damage, right? Uh, someone's going to pay for it. Either you pay for it or Jesus is going to pay for it. God is also the attorney, and he's the advocate. And he's saying, I don't want them to have to pay for this sin. But someone has to pay for the sin. And so God is actually the penalty as well. He sends Jesus, and it costs him. It costs Jesus physical torture, and it also costs him a spiritual torture as well. He's separated from God the Father. Always had that perfect harmony and unity and love with God the Father and God the Son. In that moment on the cross, that fellowship was broken. Jesus was rejected so that you and I could be accepted. By surrendering our lives uh, to Christ, by repenting of our sins, and, and then following Jesus in obedience, we can have fellowship with God the Father. That's what's happening with Jesus on the cross. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Again, it was in that moment that Jesus actually became sin. He became all of the sins ever committed. He became all of the rape ever committed, all of the child abuse ever committed, all of the murders ever committed. Jesus became every sin that was ever committed on the cross, and God had to pour his wrath on his son. He had to reject Jesus. Jesus was rejected so that you and I could be accepted. So this is a, a profound uh, teaching that we learned this morning. Something that I mentioned earlier that I want to mention again as well is that what Jesus says on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is actually quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm 22. Uh, Pastor Bud read it earlier, but I want us to look at it again. Again, I think it's probably worth mentioning that this is probably one of the most airtight cases uh, to give credibility to the Bible, to give credibility to the gospel, and also to credibility that, that Jesus really did atone for our sins on the cross. Uh, this psalm is over a thousand years, was written a thousand years before Jesus was crucified on the cross. Uh, this psalm was written 600 years before crucifixion was ever even invented. And so I just want to kind of take the time to walk us through to make those connections from Psalm 22 to see where those prophecies are actually fulfilled in the Gospels. So let me show you what I mean. In Psalm 22, it starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that should sound familiar because in Matthew 27, verse 46, Jesus says the same thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If we continue in Psalm 22, uh, it says this in verse 6. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And then in the Gospel of Luke, says they said he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One, 
The soldier said, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. So we could see the mocking and the hurling of insults in Psalm 22. And we see how that connection is made as well in the Gospel of Luke. And then Psalm 22, verse 14, it says this, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, the Bible says this, Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. So we see the connection there as well. In Psalm 22, verse 15, the Bible says, My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, Jesus says, I am thirsty. In Psalm 22, verse 16, notice what it says. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. Catch this. They pierce my hands and my feet. This was written 600 years before crucifixion was ever even invented. This is just mind-blowing. In Luke 23, it says this. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with criminals, one on his right and one on his left. In Psalm 22, verse 17, the Bible says, All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. In the Gospel of Luke, the Bible says, The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. And then finally, we get to verse 18 of Psalm 22, and it says this, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And then in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, says, The garment was seamless, woven in one piece, from top to bottom, let's not tear it, they said to one another. Notice, let's decide by lot who will get it. So they cast lots. They gambled for Jesus' garments. We see the connection in Psalm 22. We see it show up in the Gospels as well. So again, I think it's worth mentioning once again that, that this was 600 years. Psalm 22 is written 600 years before crucifixion was even invented. Uh, David is the author of Psalm 22. Their method of execution in David's time was being stoned to death. Crucifixion wasn't invented yet. A thousand years later, Jesus is crucified on the cross. Uh, David, the author of Psalm 22, with odd specificity, describes specifically these, uh, this, this crucifixion death that we see literally fulfilled in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. If you think about a thousand years, that's pretty mind-blowing. Uh, the United States of America is going to turn 244 this July. So if you take that times four, that's about the time from Psalm 22, written with odd specificity about the crucifixion, <laughs> to the time Jesus is crucified, right? A thousand years. I mean, if you go a thousand years back, that's like the time of the Vikings. That would be like someone like Leif Erikson with odd specificity documenting the release of the iPhone. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. A thousand years, I mean, with, with odd specificity writing down, hey, this is going to release and there's going to be this game called Fortnite that people are going to play. I mean, that's what we're talking about here when we're talking about David writing Psalm 22 with odd specificity describing the crucifixion of Jesus happens a thousand years later. I mean, that's pretty mind-blowing. And I think you should be encouraged by that if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're, if you're investigating Jesus, it could, should cause you to ask some questions. Something else I think is worth mentioning, Psalm 22 doesn't end there. When we get to the end of Psalm 22, the Bible says this, Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Now, what's this talking about here? 
the future generations and the people yet unborn. I think that's talking about the church. That's talking about you and I and all of us who are able to hear about Jesus and what he's done. The psalmist says he has done it. Jesus' death and then resurrection is where when we uh, have Easter Sunday. That's why we talk about the resurrection. And so what does this tell us in light of, in light of all of this? What does this have to do with you? What does it have to do with me? I think the cross tells us that God can be trusted, that nothing is happening to Jesus that is outside of God's control. So even when it looks like this is Jesus's greatest moment of defeat, in reality, this is actually God's greatest moment of victory because it was on the cross where Jesus secured for us the victory over Satan, sin, and death. If you're ever in a position, and maybe you're in that position right now, where you are doubting God's trustworthiness, just look at the cross. The cross is a profound declaration that God can be trusted and that God loves us. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to be rejected so that you, so that I could be accepted. So in light of all of that, what do you do with a message like this? Let me give you a couple suggestions here. Uh, first of all, I think we need to turn from our sin and trust Jesus to save us. Listen, if you've never made a decision to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to do that. And it's not hard. You say, Jesus, I believe you. Jesus, I receive you. I repent of my sins. I want to turn to you, and I want to follow you in obedience. And if you make that decision, let some, uh, somebody know. Email one of us. Tell somebody. The Bible says in Romans 3.22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And so if you choose to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this, this righteousness is offered to you as well. Secondly, I think living in a state of gratitude, when we think about what Jesus did for us on the cross, it should overwhelm us. We should live in a state of gratitude. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 11, Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Again, when Jesus was on the cross, when the fellowship between God the Father and God the Son had been broken, that rejection took place so that we could have acceptance and reconciliation with God our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Uh, sec or third, I think that when tempted to remember what our sin had cost Jesus on the cross, when there's times when we are tempted to remember that costly sacrifice, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so that's, again, that's why we take communion, so that we can remember that costly sacrifice that Jesus offered his body, bore our sins on the cross, suffered both physical, emotional, spiritual torture on the cross for us. And then I would say, share the gospel with others. To share this good news. Listen, if you had a friend that had cancer and you had the cure for cancer and you didn't share that with them, I mean, that would be criminal. Like they ought to put you in prison for that. And so how much more should we, if we have this amazing good news, this gospel about Jesus that gives us hope and eternal life with Jesus in heaven forever, how can we not share that with people? Sure, it's hard right now because of the COVID-19, but there's creative ways that we could go about this. And people need to know the hope of Jesus and eternal life. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. 
Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So this this message today, Jesus was rejected so that you could be accepted. Uh, Let me just share something with you. If I could just be honest, the typical Northeast Ohio resident is at home right now, sitting there watching TV, totally unaware of what Jesus Christ did for them. Yeah, they know Jesus died on a cross and they know Easter, they know Christmas, but they don't know what we just talked about. That person needs to be reached with the gospel. And that's why we give our offerings. That's why we sacrifice our time. That's the motivation behind everything that we do. And the reality is the good news is only good news if it gets there in time. For that person that's sitting there watching TV right now that's never heard about Jesus, that doesn't know Jesus, if, if, if they die without hearing about Jesus and coming to know Jesus, that Jesus' death on the cross was a total waste. It's a total waste. But if they come to know Jesus, then they can experience eternal life, uh, forgiveness of their sins, and eternal life with Christ in heaven. And so let me just encourage us with that. Everybody needs Jesus. Jesus was rejected so that so that I, so that you, so that each and every one of us could be accepted and have a relationship with Jesus and our Heavenly Father. Would we remember that truth? Would we find peace and comfort in that truth in the midst of everything that's going on right now? And would we be willing to share that truth with somebody in the midst of everything that's going on right now? Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we uh, just acknowledge that, you know, your son, he... He became sin on the cross. He bore our sins in his body. And because of that, he was the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. Lord, we know that you are holy and that sin is ugly and that salvation is costly. And Lord, we uh, ask your forgiveness for times where we have uh, drifted from the reality that you are in control, God. No matter what is going on uh, in our lives and in our world, in the midst of a worldwide pandemic like this, uh, even if it seems like you're not in control, you are 100% completely and utterly in control. Uh, Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to remember that you sent Jesus to be rejected so that we could be accepted. God, help us to find peace and comfort and rest in that truth right now. Help us to be willing to share that with people who have never heard it and who need to hear it. Uh, We ask this in your name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.